Well, good morning, everybody. This morning, we are finishing up uh, the second part of this uh, intro to what we call the series I'm going to do on authentic. And, and I said before I can go into the series on being authentic or being real or bona fide or whatever phrase you use. There's a lot of fun titles that you can use for that. And, and whatever you use, it's just simply understanding, can I be authentic? Can I be real? Can I be the person I'm supposed to be? Can I be what God's called me to be? And in church, that is even seemingly more difficult because in church, it's, we, we put all these different tags on whether your clothes are right or your hair's right or this is right or, or, or if, do, do you have this or, or is things going good? If things are going good, God must like me. If things are going bad, then I must be doing something wrong. We've got all types of things and growing up in the church all my life, I, I deal with it and dealt with it all the time. People will say, well, I, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't know what. And a lot of people fall away from church because just simply feeling frustrated because maybe they felt like they didn't do enough or God didn't do enough or I did what I'm supposed to and God didn't finish what he said he would. And it's amazing how right now I could carry you to Walmart and ask people, why aren't you in church? And you'd get all types of answers. Some I can't do enough. You know, I'm just not that kind of person. Others, well, this happened, I had a child die, and I'm mad at God, and I'm never going back to church. Every type of excuse or reason, but still, we're told to be authentic. In the midst of all of it, it's an understanding of being authentic. And I want to share that second part with you, because let me catch us up to where we are. And if we've got the picture, we can throw that up of, of a picture I asked them to find. I don't know if they did. There we go. This is a, a photo of one of, the, one of the most famous paintings of Jesus and the rich young ruler. And in Mark, uh, we studied last week in Mark 10, verses 17 through 31, we studied the first part of this story that I began to share with you. And the story of the rich young ruler, how he comes to Jesus and he uh, falls at Jesus' feet. He, he comes and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to gain eternal life? And last week we began to walk through and I showed you something that I said, well, you can use this kind of like as a uh, help your friends on a story maybe they thought they knew and share a little more. And we talked about how Jesus listed five of the six commandments that relate to how we treat each other. And Jesus listed five of them, but he left one out. Remember which one he left out? Covet. You shall not covet. He, he goes to the rich young man and he tells him, well, don't do this and don't do that. And the young man smiles and he says, I've done all of these since my youth. And Jesus says, well, only one thing you're lacking then to be perfect. If you want to be perfect, then go and sell everything that you got, give it to the poor, and follow me. And you will have treasures in heaven. And it's not that you're giving up wealth. It's just that you're swapping the wealth that you have for a wealth that my father will give you at a different time. And the Bible says, one of the saddest statements in all the Bible, that he lowers his head, loses his smile, and walks away sorrowful. Now he's still got all of his money, he's still got all of his wealth, but he's not happy. And it's amazing to me how whenever we as people, when we're not authentic, when we're not what we're supposed to be, we can cover it with all the things that we want to. 
We may get a new car. Man, we drive around in that new car, and we go to the Sonic, or we go wherever we go, and we show it to everybody, and everybody's like, oh, man, I wish, oh, I'm telling you, man, you've got it so good, and, and, and life's so good for you, and, and everything. But that's just something that many times we use not to be authentic. Maybe we got a house, and we, oh, everybody brags on our house, and oh, man, you got such a beautiful house, and you got, oh, you're so, it. but that don't make you happy. Being authentic is what makes you happy. Jesus was trying to get him to understand. Do you want to have life, real life? Then learn the process of being authentic. And he stands there trying to make this decision, the most important decision he'll ever make in his life. Many theologians believe that the reason Jesus, the Bible even declares that he loved him and, and, and basically wanted him to follow him. It wasn't he said, go do this and go back home. He said, do this and follow me. Because Jesus knew he had one disciple that wasn't right. And he knew that eventually he could have swapped this young man probably for the one that was going to fall away and he would still have his 12. There are many theologians, many thoughts, and many... But one thing we know is that Jesus loved him And Jesus saw a plan for his life that he couldn't see. He saw a plan for his life that only by surrender would he ever be able to see it. And so we began to study that last week, and and that was last week's sermon. I hope you get it. But go back with me and let's read this story one more time of Mark 10, beginning at verse 17. And we'll catch up now from the second part of this, where I want to talk today not about the strange conversation, not about what God asked him to do, but I want to talk today about the third part that I started on, which is your personal choice. Today, I really want to center on, as we get ready for what I want to teach on in these next four weeks, understanding the power of your personal choice. Understanding this morning that that is the one thing, just like this rich young ruler, it is the one thing you possess. Let me tell you something about God. God knows everything about everything. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. But God has chosen. Nobody forced him. Nobody made him. God chose to limit himself in one area. And in one area, he will not cross boundaries. And that is the area in which you have a free choice. It causes us enormous problems. We we struggle with this. Even some of our debates over eternal security and and, and predestinationism and, and all the different debates we have comes from this one thing. Did God actually give us a free choice or is he just trying to trick us into salvation and then keep us there even if we go to heaven kicking and cussing? Did God give us something that he gave no other creature, the choice to whether or not we will or will not love him or serve him or follow him. Did God give us a free choice to where today we get to choose what our life will and will not be according to God? That's the main question. It's much easier when we just kind of say, well, God already knows what's going to happen. That just takes all the responsibility away. 
well, you know, you know, God, God already has it planned. Whatever God's plan is, it's going to happen regardless. We try to come up with every other alternative, but let me tell you this morning the actual truth. The actual truth is, is that every one of you sitting here this morning gets to choose whether or not you will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of you in this room gets to choose whether or not you will be a disciple, whether or not you want to go to heaven, whether or not you will invest in that versus investing in the things of this world. Every one of you in this room gets that choice. Now, let's read the story and, and then we'll move further. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life. Now notice the problem here. He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What is it that I have to do? What action do I have to, what do I have to give? What kind of person do I have to be? The premise of the question is off. And so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Now, this is an important statement, and I'll, I'll show you why it's an important statement. Because in Matthew, he goes a little further in this, and I'm going to explain this scripture a little bit later. But he says, why do you call me good? None is good but God. Good master would mean to Jesus that he's a perfect teacher. In their time, they would look and they would say, teacher. Remember many times in the scripture, they would look at Jesus and they would say, master. Even his disciples said, master or, or teacher, never good teacher or good master. Because what that meant was you are perfect. You are the perfect teacher, the perfect. And so he stops him and says, do not call me good. Only one is good, but God, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud anyone. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, I have all these things I have done and kept from my youth. And I told you that he left out one, didn't he? Covetousness. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said unto his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. How, how impossible, how utterly difficult it is. Now, now think about this. You've got to understand their culture. They were looking for ways in their culture to know that you were a good person or that you were, you were, you were blessed by God that you were doing it right. And they had this one that they had nailed down that if this is happening in your life, you are doing good. If you're rich, if God's blessing your cattle and blessing your farm and blessing your life and blessing everything, then man, you, God loves you more than he loves anyone else. And they had established this and this was an established thing in their culture. That, that if you're doing well, if you're blessed, if you're rich, you're the best of us. We still make that mistake. Some of the biggest mistakes churches ever make is this. When they're building their boards and their deacon committees and all these different things, who are the people they like to pick? 
People that can write checks. And usually they build their boards out of older guys or, or ladies or people who, 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 man, they're successful at their business. They're successful. Boy, we, we need them on our deacon board. Or we need them. Many times it's also the death of that church. Because the way they think many times is not the way God thinks. And I've seen it so many times where people will think, oh, we're we, we going to put them on the board, them on the board. But more importantly, more importantly, what do you consider success? And in their culture, sometimes in ours, if somebody's done well financially, well, they, they're smart. They may just be a real good cheat. I know some. Live, live right in this area. They're masters at it. And if it don't work out, just file bankruptcy and start again. I mean, I don't want them on my deacon board, do you? No. So in, in your mind, you have to understand what is really success, what is wealth, what is... And in our lives, we have to be really careful. Because we'll think, well, I must be doing good because of this. I must be doing good because of this. Some people think because of health. It don't always have to be riches. It's amazing how people can come to church and go and be everything, be okay. And as soon as somebody gets sick, bro, Lot, what did I do? I'm like, you didn't do anything. You just got sick. I must have done something. I mean, God hadn't healed me yet. You didn't do anything. It's just life in this world. But isn't it amazing how we look for things in our lives? And some of us even going home today, we, we judge ourselves. Well, if God loved me or if he believed in me or if he trusted me, he would do this or he would do this. Let, let me give you a, a little bit, since we're talking a little bit about wealth, some of the richest people of the centuries. You know, in the 11th century, you know who was the richest man? It was a man by the name of William the Conqueror. Remember him? Some may, well, I think I uh, heard a story, yeah. In the, in the 11th century, you know, in the 12th century, the richest man in the world was Genghis Khan. I don't know if I want him on my board either. In the 13th century, it was a man by the name of Filippo. In the 14th century, it was Marsa, uh, Marisa Musa. In fact, let me, let me just say this about uh, Marisa Musa the first. He was in the 14th century. He was worth $400 billion. So, so whenever people talk about different things and, and for different cultures, let me just say this. He was a black man. So the richest, richest man that's ever lived on the earth at any time was a black man. Just thought I'd throw that out if that means anything. He was from Africa. He was part of the Malian Empire, covering the modern-day Ghana and, and all the different areas in that area. $400 billion is what he was worth. There's no one that's ever been worth more than him at any time to this day. In the 15th century, there was a banker. He had to be a banker in there. His name was Fugger. He, he was, in fact, he was uh, so wealthy that he helped ensure that he got the Ro Holy Roman Emperor 
and Charles V gave Fugger the, the right to mint his own money. You ever have people talk about, I can make my own money? He could. He was so wealthy, in fact, he was worth uh, over two, under $200 billion. At that time, the, the emperor just said, you just mint whatever you want. In the 16th century, Solomon the Magnificent. The 17th century was a guy by the name of Aragazab, worth approximately $19 million. It was a, it was a bad year, century. Not a lot of money that time. In the 18th century, Stephen Girard, I love his story. He was worth $105 billion. But listen, this was a... a, a a tough century because several moguls amassed their wealth in the 18th century but continued to accumulate the century. The French-born naturalized American who personally underwrote and saved America from financial bankruptcy during the War of 1812. He actually wrote a check that financed the War of 1812. Seems so good a choice as any. He owned many ships and fleets and had enormous amounts of wealth, $105 billion. Then there was the Rothschilds. We start to get into more modern times. If you are English or from England, you, you've heard of the Rothschilds. They were worth in the 18th, 19th century $350 billion. They're still wealthy, just let you know. They're, they're still in all types of realty and different things over in the country. In the 20th century, somebody you've heard of, John D. Rockefeller, the oil baron. He was worth $340 billion. In fact, they broke up his company once because they said he had a conglomerate. They broke it up, and in that one day of breaking it up and reselling the parts, you know what? He made $900 million. Not a bad day. And in the 21st century, who do you think is the richest person of our time? 21st century with Amazon, Microsoft, Google. Well, I'm going to share that with you a little later. Just hang there. Is that all right? All right. And I'll show you why. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is to have riches and enter into the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. Because remember now, this is not their culture. This is not the way they see life. If you, if you work hard, you make money, you're rich, you're blessed. They were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again until them and said, children... How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when he says this, this is kind of uh, what they call Jewish humor. It, it's, it's Jewish humor. And, and in Jewish humor, it's, it's not like a joke that we would tell in our time. It's using contrast. And they would contrast things to such a degree that, that it, it, was, it was like, that's ridiculous. So Jesus takes the largest thing that's in Israel, the largest animal, this camel, 
This, this enormous, and I, me and Elise got to go to Israel, and we got to ride on one one time. And, 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 and they, are, they are smelly, ugly. There's nothing good about them. I mean, they are just raunchy animals, but they are huge. They are huge animals. They're hooves and everything. And Jesus says, he looks around, he says, it's harder for a camel and then he thinks on the opposite extreme, and he says, the eye of a needle. Now, I know many times preachers have messed this and said, oh, it means there's a place in it. Let me tell you something. There's no wall in Israel where you get a camel and take all the stuff off, and he squeezes through. There's no such place. When he says a needle, he means a, he said, it's harder for that camel to go through the eye of that needle. And they're thinking, <laughs> that's a funny imaginary story. And that's Jewish humor comparison one thing to another and he says it, it is harder it, it, it would be easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man someone who is depending on their riches to go into the kingdom of God now listen to me he's using riches right here but I've told you like last week that it don't have to be riches it may mean anything that you have put before God. It could be any of the Ten Commandments, any of the commandments that God has said. Uh, you, if you put your livelihood, if you put your job, if you put your family, if you put your... Because some people, like I've said earlier, they're not in church today because they're mad at God because somebody in their family died and they got mad and I don't believe in God. He should have healed my grandma. He should have healed this. Let me tell you what happened. They put grandma ahead of God way before the grandma ever died. And the problem is, is that when grandma finally died, the truth finally came out. I didn't trust God. I didn't like God. I didn't believe in God anyway. I wasn't going to follow God. I was just using God to get what I want. And the moment he wouldn't give me what I want, I'm through with God. Truth hurts. And it can be anything. Anything in your life that you say, this keeps me from following God fully. This keeps me from being the person I want to be. It can be lust. It can be whatever you want it to be. You pick it. Anything that you see that you need as much as you need God. Something that you would probably say something like, I don't know how I'd live without that. Something you might say, I'd probably die if I couldn't do that. Somebody just, well, go ahead and shoot me if that happens. You know, phrases you'd use like that could compare something so important that you would equal it with God. It's easier for a camel, let me just say to you, it would be easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle for you to enter the kingdom of God. It would be easier for you. Bro, wow, that's serious. Yeah, Jesus was very serious. In fact, he's so serious, it, it astonishes his disciples. This is not one of those they're just sitting around like, oh, that's a cool say. No, they stop. This is messing up all their theology. You're telling me this rich guy can't go into heaven? I mean, if anybody can get into heaven, I mean, he's doing good. And this is what they said. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be? Because when I say that to you, immediately what you think is, Man, Pastor Lot, he's making it hard. Not really. It's just hard when you're trying to find a way to earn your way to get there. It's just hard when you look at me and say, Brother Lot, what do I have to do to go to heaven? 
Well, that's a tricky question. Because the question will really be, what is it that you don't want to give up, that you will give up, that you will be able to inherit the kingdom of God? And so they're astonished, and they look among themselves. Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is... Look at the person beside you and say, it's impossible. There's nothing you can do. There's no amount of effort. There's no, there's no New Year's resolution that you promise God. I'll never do that again, God. I'm telling you, I'm going to be good. I'm going to do... There, there, there's no act that you can just say, God, I'm going to earn heaven. Well, I go to church. Doesn't earn you nothing. I, I pay my tithes. Well, that's great, but it doesn't earn you anything. We try in ourselves to try to justify and stack the good things versus the bad things, and then if the good things outweigh them, then we're a good person. God says, well, I'm glad you do all those things, but this is the thing we need to deal with. But Jesus looked at him and said, it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, see, we have left all and followed you, Lord. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is, there is no one of you who has left house or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this life. Now notice now, he says, when you do this, here's my guarantee to you. You will receive a hundredfold what you're willing to give up in this life. Well, I don't understand that. If, I'm, if I give, how in the world? Well, let me explain it to you very simply. When I was 19 years old, I was that guy. I grew up in my life, I grew up in parsonages, sleeping on mattresses on the floor. I grew up having to beg people to go fish in their ponds. I, had to, I, grew, up, I grew up poor. In fact, we, we used to pick it up. We said, I grew up so poor I couldn't pay attention. That's how poor I was. I got picked on from the trailer I lived in when I'd go get on the bus. I grew up poor. And one thing in my heart that we were taught was to work hard. Work hard. Make something of yourself. So in my mind growing up, that became the thought. I will work hard. I will make something of myself. I wouldn't, I wasn't greedy in that. I wasn't upset in that. I was going to pay my tithes. I was going to do my thing. I was going to but I had the plan. And God came to me and said, Tim, that's not the plan that I need. I need you to leave everything and quit everything and follow me. But Lord, if I do that, then I'm going to end up living the same way that my mom, my dad, and everybody else, I'm going to end up and I can't do that. 
And I told you that for about six months, me and God had this enormous fight. Enormous. I lost almost 50 pounds of just not eating, sleeping. Because to you, getting saved or giving your life was a pretty easy thing, right? You can have it all, Lord. Then you go back to your life. For me, if I gave it all, I couldn't go back to my life. Finally, at 150-something pounds, tears and all the fighting, and I've told all the different scenarios God set up, the camps and all the things, I surrendered. I left what I was doing, left school, left everything. Left the pictures of the cars I had on the wall that I was going to one day have. Came home, got a job in a grocery store and started pushing buggies. Bagging groceries. And the rest is, is history. Jesus begins with every single one of us with this statement. I want you to have the courage to leave it. I want you to have the courage and trust me and walk away from it. For you, it may be a, a no good boyfriend or girlfriend. For you, it may be the fact that you're lazy now, but you know you don't need to be lazy and God's calling you to do better and you need to step up your game. It could be whatever. Whatever it is that's been comfortable till now that you know it's not going to get me what I want. I have this, but I'm not happy. You have to be willing to say, God, you can have it. Well then, Brother Lot, how then do you get wealthy? Well, today, I probably have, just in this community, probably ten ponds that I can fish in at any given time. I don't own any of them. I have some I don't even have time to go fish in. Most people would not understand what that means. But I do. I don't have a big house on the, on the beach or I don't have some, some fancy thing. I live in a, a very a older house that, that, that we keep working on and tinkering with and painting on. and We try to make it look as good as we can. But there are three or four or five people I know who have houses, have places, have campers, have whatever it is that I ever wanted. I can make one phone call wherever I need to stay and wherever I need to go. If I told you I had five houses, ten ponds, probably about two or three or four boats, then most of the time when I go to the Mexican restaurant, and while I'm eating at lunch, it's not even a surprise many times. I get up to the front and somebody says, it's already been taken care of. See, for you, you wouldn't know this, but I'm the most wealthy person that you'll ever meet. I am stinking rich. And Jesus was telling them that, listen, when you do this, who shall not receive a hundredfold in his time? 
Now in Matthew, it says in the millennial to come. For some people, don't, don't think, well, we're a lot of, I ain't had it this way. Then the Bible says it hasn't been lost. Understand, you may or struggle may be different than mine. Yours may be, but even in the millennial, he says not one of it will be lost, that you will be paid 100-fold whatever it is you were willing to sacrifice in this life. You're going to have your payday, don't you worry. You're going to have your moment. The question is, do you love what you have more than what God says I'll give? I wonder many times where I'd be today if I had not come back. I wonder how hard I would be working right now, how many marriages I'd already be on, still trying to work hard enough to find enough, to have enough, to be happy enough that I feel like my life was a success. This rich young ruler, that was the problem. He had great possessions, but he walked away sad because it's all he had. And in the age to come, eternal life. That's the bargain. Jesus says, follow me. And here's the guarantee over your life, Tim. That I'm going to bless you with friends and family. I've got so many kin folks now. They aren't even blood kin, but they're my brothers, my sisters, my family. I got more than I ever thought possible. Because when he says that, mothers, if you leave mother, father, brother, sister, then he says you have a hundredfold. Well, you can't have more than one mom. But in the kingdom, you can. In the kingdom, you can. Paula's mom came Wednesday night. I hadn't seen her because of COVID and all the stuff. And man, my heart just jumped. Why? Because that's, that's one of my moms. She's, she's like my mom. I got a bunch of moms. Tell me about your life. Tell me how rich you are. How many friends you got. How blessed your life is. But many who are what? First will be last. And those who are last will be first. So understand when I do things that I'm doing it strategically because I want more. Y'all think that I'm being good and kind and sweet, but it's really not. I'm really greedy. So like if we go out here to eat, and I stand back and make sure everybody got food, everybody's got a drink, everybody's got... And I choose to be last. You know what God's going to make sure in my life? Tim, you're going to be first. Yesterday, I, 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 was, I was just cooking, and I just looked in the deep freeze on the back, and I said, look, right there. I still had two pa a pack of snapper, red snapper I hadn't cooked cost you 40 bucks if you go to the restaurant so i sit there and made it and everything man it, it, i cooked it and i was like oh that is the bomb the problem is i had so much i couldn't eat it all so i called kirkland who don't even like fish and i said kirkland come in come to the gym kirkland come in he said i don't really like fish i said this ain't fish this is good this is not tilapia. This is good stuff. 
Kirkland said, well, I'll just take a bite. And I cut him off a piece. He ate all of it. And I said, call Chase. Hope. They come in. Oh, we're stuffed. We had an eight. We just got through eating. I cut them off a piece. And the eight wiped out their part. And I thought to myself, here we are. I went to a restaurant tonight. This would cost me. And I said, God just had it in my freezer. Do you wake up every day and realize how blessed you are? Your health, your, your life, your, your mind. Your, I don't think we do many times. But many who are first, who always want to be first, who want to cut lines in Walmart. Hmm? No, it ain't none of you. Because like, let me give you a scenario. If you're standing in a line, there's like eight people. You got like a couple people behind you. And you see the lady at Walmart fixing to open the register right next door. What do you do? Be honest with me now. Hey, y'all come over here. Get behind me. Or do you look at somebody and say, hey, they're opening that register over there. See, it's the mindset of understanding that God's going to take care of me. And because of that, I don't have to worry about the things everybody else has to worry about. Now, I told you in Matthew, they shared it differently. Go with me to Matthew in uh, chapter 20. We'll jump up in chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. As soon as Jesus told this parable, as soon as Jesus spoke on this, he said, I'm going to share a parable with you. And here's the parable he said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a uh, denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And, and some of you know, know this uh, story. And I'll just skip through all the, all the other part. Basically, he says, I'll give you a denarii if you will come pick in my garden all day. Sure, I'll do it. But he got about dinner time and he realized the people he had couldn't pick it all. So he goes and he goes to back to town and he looks around and he says, hey, I'll pay you a denarii if you'll help me pick the rest of my field. Man, yeah, I'll do it. Then he gets all the way to the end of the, and he's only got like an hour and a half of light left, sunlight. And he goes back to town and he says, look, I need anybody I can get. I need to get this out of the field. I'll give you a denarii if you'll pick for these last hour and a half. Okay. At the end of the day, the people start lining up. And as they're lining up, they begin to realize that, how much did you get? A denarii. And then you got yours. You've been working about 10 hours. All right, got my denarii. Then, then I looked at the other ones, and I said, here's your denarii. Now, what do you think? Man, they didn't work for five hours. They got the same money I did. And then this group looks at this one on the end, and this one right here picked for an hour and a half, barely got started, and I gave them a denarii. Is that fair? Is it fair?
Verse 16. So the last will be, and the first. For many are called. Many are called, but few chosen. Most of us in our life, we feel like we're missing out. We feel like we need to need a break or something needs to happen or something good or if I can just get to here or if I can just get... Let me tell you about what God tries to teach us. He's promised over your life that you will be paid a hundredfold for what you're willing to do, either now or later or when it comes. And that is the deal. There are some things in my life don't seem like I'm going to get this lifetime. There's some things in my life I probably won't get to do in this lifetime. Some things I did. But he says, that's all right, Tim. Whatever I didn't finish paying and whatever I didn't, I will finish it up when we meet. I have not left you out and I have not... And it is that trust and that understanding and it's that confidence that you have in the Lord that allows you to walk away. The rich young ruler, his problem was he could not trust God. He couldn't trust Jesus to do what he said he would do. He tells the rich young ruler, if you will do this, you will have treasure in heaven. Guaranteed. But he couldn't. Let me say it this way. Theoretically, there are three ways to get to heaven. Somebody said, oh, there's only one way to get to heaven. Well, theoretically, there's three ways. Number one, you can die before you're the age of accountability. A baby or someone just a toddler or someone who doesn't know right and wrong. Number two, and if that's not you, some of you already know right from wrong, well, then you don't qualify. Number two, you can live a perfect life. Never once commit a sin, thought, attitude, action. Anybody qualify for that one? Nope. Then there's a third way. You can fall on your knees and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and let Him make a new person out of you. That's probably the one that every one of us in this room qualifies for. And since He's the Master and He's the Lord, He chooses the path. Even though He's promised He will bless you, He'll take care of you in this world, the world to come, it's still a choice. I didn't tell you who the richest person was and... 21st century. I didn't pull his picture up. I didn't have time to get that. But his name is Muammar Gaddafi. Anybody ever heard of Muammar Gaddafi? Yeah. He was the Libyan dictator. I say was. Muammar Gaddafi in 2011 was killed by other guerrillas, other dictators that wanted to take over his 
He lived in an oil-rich nation and ruled for nearly 40 years. In that 40 years, he amassed, didn't even realize how much until he was dead. He had secret bank accounts all over the world. When they accumulated it and gathered it all together, Bill Gates is worth like a little over 100 million or 100 billion. The guy from uh, Amazon, Gaza, he's like 160. You know, when in 2011, when Gaddafi died, he was worth over $200 billion. And was executed. He spent his whole life pursuing something. And I thought to myself when I was listening, I said, why didn't that idiot, why didn't he just leave and go to Hawaii? Why, why didn't he just say, I'm going to cash in one of my bank accounts, let's say, you know, $12 billion worth. I'm just going to cash it in. I'm going to go to Hawaii, buy a little island, and I'm going to live at peace for the rest of my life. Why would he stay in a country where he knew eventually the only end? Because we really don't think it's going to end that way. The person this morning that's working themselves to death and trying to get, if I can just get to here, our family will be good. And if I could just get this amount of paid for, if I can just, man, then we'll be good. Then they have a stroke or something happens or it never turns out the way they want it. Let me tell you why. Because when you choose that route, God's not in charge of the plan. God's not in charge of your destiny. The richest man in the 21st century died by execution because he couldn't get enough. He just couldn't get enough. I think if you was to watch him walk to where he was fixing to be executed, I guarantee you he looked a lot like the rich young ruler. I bet he wasn't smiling and laughing. I bet he had his head down. I bet he was sorrowful. He's a man who had everything and nothing at all. He's a man who had everything. Everything that you in this room would want. And nothing at all. That's the question God asks us. You choose. You decide. You decide what you're going to live for and who you're going to live for. He says, I'm going to do you good if you let me. But you have to let me. Will you stand? Our rich young ruler 
had so much. But he ended up with nothing but the God that he walked away for in his life. I know what that feels like and I know that moment in time. In fact, anyone in here that's saved, and when I say saved, not just ask God to forgive you of what you did. Saved means that He took you from where you were. Let's say you were on a desert island. He took you from that and put you in a good place. That's saved. Sometimes we misguidedly confuse saved with forgiven. But what God wants to do is save you. In the process, He forgives. But what He wants to do is save you. One of the scariest thoughts I ever have in my life is this one. I wonder where I would be today if I hadn't done what I'd done. It's one of the scariest thoughts in my life. Where would my depression have taken me? Where would my anxieties have taken me? Where would my desire to work harder and harder and just keep killing yourself, where would it take me? I'm thankful. The day when God came by and said, Tim, you want eternal life? Yes. What do I got to do? Well, that's kind of the wrong question, Tim, but I'll get you to it. Tim, I need you to be a good person and go to church. And I need you to, I do it, God. I need you to pay you, I'll, I'll pay my tithes, God. I'll be the best Sunday school teacher. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Just, just. And Tim, you only like one thing. I need you to leave what you love behind. And I need you to leave what you think is going to make you happy behind. And I need you to follow me. Pick up your cross, follow me, and I will take care of all that. And for you in this room, I understand that's the hardest decision you'll ever make. It's the hardest decision you'll ever make, but it's the greatest one. If you're in this room right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, it's your moment. It's your time. God is coming by and He's asking you, will you choose me? Well, Lord, I, man, I'm going to end up with nothing. No. Listen to Him. I'm going to take care of you. How are you going to do that? That's my business. That's, that's the way I do it. But I need you to choose. Whether you're going to walk out of here today and spend all of your energy and all of your time and all your money trying to buy your ball game tickets and your fun things and, and all the stuff you, you do and watch and just to try to occupy your life. Whether this morning you will say, God, I want you to be the center of my life. And all this stuff that I've used to try to find happiness... I give it to you. I give it to you. And I ask you now that everything you plan for my life and everything you plan for me, fulfill it. 
do it. You have full right and full reign. Do it. If you're in this room right now and you say, Pastor, that's me. And I want you just to, just, just so God sees you this morning, just, just hold that hand up with every head bowed, nobody looking. It ain't nobody noticing you. It's just you. God, make that me this morning. Stuff that I, that I love and I keep thinking it'll, it'll solve the problem. It hasn't. Thank you. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, you said there was once a publican that stood at the back of the church, stood at the back of the temple. And Father, all he did was, is that he just beat his chest and he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Father, that's what we're doing right now. For that person that's standing there that that right now their life is fixing to change. I want them just to repeat these words with me, and as they do, God, they're not just getting forgiven, they're getting saved. Are you ready? Repeat these words with me in your own way. Father, forgive me for things that I have chosen that I thought would bring me the happiness that I've been looking for, the joy that I couldn't find. Forgive me for turning to it instead of you. Today, Lord, I lay it at your feet. Today, Lord, I declare I'm yours. I believe that I will receive a hundredfold of everything I ever give. Not because of its money, but because that's your heart. You are a good father, and you want to do us good. So I lay it at your feet. I pick up my cross. I become your servant. I don't compare what I receive to someone else. They may get more, they may get less. It doesn't matter. I'm content with whatever you choose for my life. I will follow you until I see you face to face. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus that saves me. Amen. If you understand what I've said, then you're ready for, to start the next part of this. I had to preach this before I could preach authentic. Just being real. Being the real you. Because we're going to find out when Jesus calls us to be, He's called us to be salt and light and a farmer and a fisherman. and a, He's called us to be, but we have to be authentic to do it. And I hope before you leave here today that in your heart you can say, Father, I'm authentic. I'm bona fide. I'm the real deal. I'm the real deal. I'm saved. On my way to heaven. And a disciple of yours. May the Lord bless you. Wow.
What a powerful service. God bless you. Go give that devil fits. <laughs>